All right, welcome. You know that music. You know what that means. Only means one thing. That time of the week, time for some Freightonomics, uh, where you get to listen to me and Anthony and special guest. I have a special uh, guest today. Yeah, nice. talk about the freight market and the economy and how they work together and hopefully give you guys some information that helps you better achieve <laughs> your goals for the week or <laughs> the month. do, hope you achieve. <laughs> Yeah. We're here for you. <laughs> exactly. So today we got a pretty big show. We're going to kind of recap the first half, but also try to uh, make some predictions for what we think the second half of this freight economy is going to look like. We've had a lot of un unstable conditions over the last year. Uh, thank you, COVID-19. Uh, and, and again, we've got new variants and things going on now that could derail things at any given time, not to be a, uh, you know, you know, somebody that kind of blows that balloon up uh, anymore. But it's, you know, we're in an era of constant volatility and change. Information is now more readily available than anything. So that, that disrupts things. Demand, the demand cycle yeah. is now accelerated. So, you know, all these things kind of connect to each other. Uh, and that's really the theme of the show, uh, where we make those connections and tell you which connections are the most relevant uh, for your day. Yeah. I, and I'm not going to bury the lead here, but all I'm going to say is, the flatbed outbound tender rejection index told me all I need to know about the second half of the year. <laughs> That's it. Anthony's favorite. He's a he's a he's a one uh, freight index trip pony. <laughs> it told if me you will. all I needed to know. <laughs> he loves the flatbed uh, tender rejection rates. But uh, yeah, we've got uh, we've got a really good show today. We've got Re Wes Strubing. Yeah. Uh, to freight titans. Uh, so he's going to come on and give us a little bit of insight. He deals with all things logistics uh, throughout the global supply chain, which has been a complete train wreck. Uh, no pun intended there <laughs> over the last <laughs> over the last year or so. There. So we'll have somebody that's got eyes on the ground uh, or boots on the ground, uh, knows exactly what's going on there. Uh, and of course, we'll have our freight data to kind of support some of those conclusions. But also... I am watching on LinkedIn. So if we're streaming live right now, Thursday, 12 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. So if you're streaming or if you're streaming this right now on LinkedIn, I'm watching. Use that technology. Use the tech. Information. Chat. We were just talking about it. The information flow. It's it's instantaneous. Jump uh, in, get that shout out. If you got a question for me, Zach West, when he comes on. Yeah. Shout out. Let's see it. Let's do it. Uh, so yeah, um, let's let's dive right into the uh, the memes of the week. So yeah. Um, with some memeonomics. Let's get things started. I feel loose. This, this, the memes get me That's loose. That's a good sleep. Get me loose. So we've had this huge heat wave in, in the Pacific Northwest. Now, what does this mean for freight? Well, I'm, I'm going to pull you right on in. <laughs> uh, this is more of a Twitter uh, situation than a meme. But, uh, you know, the weather has a dramatic impact on freight movement. And obviously, the truck drivers out there. Uh, this one's amazing to me. Like, so up there in Seattle, they're not used to this level of heat. Obviously, uh, 100 plus degree days don't happen that often up there, historically speaking. And this one is showing the road buckling <laughs> in Seattle. I, I mean, th this is crazy. Uh, the fact that the heat's basically wreaking havoc on the road. This is going to show up in the winter too. Mm -hmm. I mean, once the once the temperature cools down, this is infrastructure. This is the stuff, number one, that you're using, uh, you know, as you're driving trucks back and forth and not 
as much truck activity up in the Pacific Northwest uh, over the summer months, but there is a lot more that comes online in the fall and winter. Uh, we've got Christmas tree season and things like that. So it'll be interesting. And again, they have their own produce season yeah. up there as well that's happening in just over a month now, uh, August, September. Uh, October, you've got apples, you've got hops for that beer uh, and everything that's going on up there. So this Seattle uh, Northwest, actually we saw a huge increase in tender rejection rates mm -hmm. up in Seattle uh, over the last week. It's come down a little bit uh, as things recovered and settled down, but very uncharacteristic yeah. for that area this time of year. And the thing is, is like, so I lived in Arizona for eight years and I hate being that annoying Arizona guy of just like, <laughs> 108, that's nothing. Like. That's like an Arizona spring. Why you Dude, guys They got crying? up to 100, like 16. Whatever. Dude, hot is hot. Hot is hot. Hot <laughs> is hot. I understand. Hot is hot. And so especially like, when like 30% of the population doesn't even have an air conditioner. Yeah, that's true. Like that's Arizona, true. They, they know when the heat's coming. Yeah, and they, they have the infrastructure built out. It's built for the heat. People aren't surprised by it. Yep. You, you moved there for a reason, and this is what you got. This is the prize that you won. Yeah. Speaking. But sometimes I got to catch myself like, 108, it's not even that hot. 110, that's nothing. We're it's good. It's a dry heat. It's a dry it's heat. It's a dry heat. You're going to be fine. <laughs> Speaking of air conditioning, so this next one, uh, the Seattle grocery stores showing like this. This reminds me, and we live down south. You, you're you kind of new to the south, but mm -hmm. you, you've been around long enough to know anytime there's a threat of snow, <laughs> it just empties the grocery store shelves. Um, and the heat wave emptied the grocery store shelf up in Seattle. And this, this to me is relevant in the way that, you know, just like we've seen all these like spikes in random demand from COVID, we saw toilet paper, you know, the, you know, all these random commodities that are now unavailable. This to me is, this is where, this is where it really exacerbates things when mm -hmm. you're talking about grocery stores being emptied out, spikes in demand, Seattle grocery stores emptied out because it's hot. Yeah. Never seen this one before. So consumers are always going to find a way to chase. Like once something just kind of gets some kind of momentum mm -hmm. and there's a mentality around, hey, we got to get it. Everyone's going to try to get after it. I mean, we've seen it over the last year and a half. Again, with toilet paper, we've seen it with hand sanitizer. We've seen it with any kind of mask. Now all those things are just kind of in absurd abundance. There's way mm -hmm. too much of it. Um, saw it with gas. We're seeing it, saw it with cryptocurrency. I don't yep. know if NFTs are still a thing. <laughs> that was a chase up for a little bit. And that seems to be coming back down. We're seeing it right now with housing, but lumber price starting to come down. And so I, I people, people are going to chase, use that, cars. And like I said, the instantaneous information, it almost creates this. We saw the gas shortage yeah. because of the, the cyber attack. Uh, uh, I guess it's been a month and a half ago now. Mm -hmm. Uh, the gas shortage of Thursday, May 11th, or whatever it was, you know, uh, it's, it's, we are in this instantaneous world where information gets dispersed and then people react right. so quickly and dramatically uh, at that. So, I mean, it's that, that meme, to me, or that it's not a meme, it's more of a Twitter picture, but that to me is kind of like, this is the type of thing, I think this is the new world we live in, mm -hmm. is immediate reaction, little bit of overcorrection involved. We are very, uh, very hyped up people at the moment. <laughs> yeah, and those that are just going to be willing to just wait a little bit are going to mm -hmm. be the ones to reap most of the rewards yeah. for most areas. I mean, so if you're going to hold off on buying a used car now, that's great. But maybe you're able to sell your used car. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're like me during the gas shortage of May 11th and actually ran out of gas. <laughs> 
the day that things were at their worst. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, I remember that day. And you had to line, I had to line up before work uh, <laughs> to be one of them. So, you know, we, we're all, we're all involved in this, yeah. whether yeah, we want to be or not. Unwilling participants sometimes. Yeah. Uh, the next meme kind of just, I wanted to find a way to work this meme, which has become the hot meme of the summer, if I may, as a meme connoisseur. Okay, I'm gonna leave it to you. Yeah, this is the Anakin, uh, <laughs> Anakin meme. I, I just, I, I can't get an, I'm a Star Wars fan, obviously, but it's, it's still, this is probably the least favorite of any of the Star Wars movies. Which Star Wars Clone is Wars. Clone Wars. It was the second one of the prequels, but it just drug on for me. Anyway, uh, it's currently 47.9 degrees in Canada. As we all know, they're into Celsius. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And Fahrenheit, right? Fahrenheit, right? No, no <laughs> words. I, I, I love this meme uh, for multiple reasons. But yeah, 47.9 degrees is extreme. <laughs> yeah. Is that like 118? Yeah, it's 120. 120? Like one, right around 120. Well, close enough. Um, so yeah, it's... Again, I'd be like, you know what? I, I practiced in pads in that in Arizona when I was in, a junior in, in high school. Are you, you seeing the joke here? 47.9 degrees in Canada? Yeah. Yeah. It's cold in Canada, yeah. Anthony. They're not used to that temperature. Get used to it. Well, they're not on the flip side, <laughs> they're used to the cold, which I'm a complete punk about. So yeah. as soon as it gets under 70, I'm out. But that's that's the whole point. Is yeah. like there. This is so much disruption here. The freight markets had their their level of disruption. The gas markets, <laughs> the mm -hmm. diesel, all all of it has had some level of like crazy disruption. Seattle, the Pacific Northwest, and now Canada, mm -hmm. all feeling something. I think we'll actually feel some repercussions from this downstream as well as their produce season is also, like I said, right in line, uh, might see some of that happen in August. So the last meme here sums it all up. Uh, I, did, I haven't seen a burning girl uh, meme in a while. I, I thought this one was just so relevant for what we're about to talk, talk to today. Uh, the supply chain, you know, COVID-19, we're going to feel COVID-19 is for years to come, yeah. uh, the way that this this has kind of gone down. Um, yeah, and supply chain reorganizations. I mean, you look at the supply chains on fire. That was basically last year. It's still on fire right now. And now we're going to start to see the downstream impacts of things, you know, building back together. That's also going to create its own level of disruption. Yeah. So the recovery process is part of it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and one of the things I always say when I'm talking about COVID-19 and the supply chain is that COVID-19 didn't cause any kind of disruptions. It exposed a lot of inefficiencies within the supply chain. And now I think people are going to act accordingly, especially with their different thoughts around just-in-time modeling. Maybe it's not exact science, but more so of a flow and a philosophy that's going to really kind of tailor specifically for you, mm -hmm. not maybe all these hard and fast rules. So, And then also controlling more of your supply chain. Because I think that's going to be Gosh. a big part of it. I think Amazon's being kind of implementing that slowly but surely over the, I don't even know if it's slowly, but surely over the yeah. last couple of years of controlling their own supply chain. So I think a lot more retailers, a lot more shippers might get involved in controlling and having a little bit more say so in the supply chain. But yeah, COVID wrecked havoc. havoc. COVID happened, COVID's havoc. happening. Uh, so we've got some news to hit up. So let's break down the news stories of the day. Uh, all of that, of what you just said, Actually, we have, I think we address almost all of it in, yes. our, in our news stories today. So very topical of you, Anthony Smith, lead economist. Uh, <laughs> first one up, uh, new COVID variants uh, could impact container uh, and tanker shipping lanes. Written by Greg Miller, a uh, wonderful article here. 
I, I think here in America, we've kind of moved on from COVID. A lot of the population now getting vaccinated. It's not gone away. Yeah. <laughs> We're not done with it. It's not, you know, we've got new variants that are actually having dramatic in, impacts across the ocean there. Is it like the Delta variant? The Delta like variant, a uh, very serious thing, a life-threatening situation uh, to a lot of people. A lot of countries have not had the success of vaccinating their populations like America has. Um, you know, and that's, you know, I, I don't know if that necessarily has, is a reason why we're seeing such dramatic outbreaks, but the longer the virus is allowed to persist, the more mutations, uh, and re and ways for it to become a different strain, uh, persist. So the, the whole world needs to get vaccinated as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, and that will slow this mutation process, hopefully, uh, more so, but, uh, the, the big topic here is, you know, we saw container shipping or the, the imports drop at the beginning of COVID. And now some of these countries, multiple Asian countries that produce U.S. containerized imports are now seeing high infection rates. That is not a good sign because that means that you're going to see this drop in containerized freight as shippers are still seeing elevated demand, still yeah. trying to recover. We're going to see another kink in the hose here. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's on, you know, a seven-day nationwide lockdown in Bangladesh be begins Thursday. We haven't talked about these things. You know, I don't feel like this is like prominent news in America mm. that the globe is still reeling from this and still feeling uh, this level of impact. And then uh, the Delta variant are also surging across Indonesia, another supplier of U.S. goods. The Red Cross said on Tuesday that Indonesia was on the edge of catastrophe. And that's the big thing. And I think it's been a thing a little bit in the U.S. for a while. Our major news items have always kind of been U.S. based or anything that the U.S. has evolved in overseas to some point. But that's a big thing. And that's kind of what I, I not to plug my own show here, the, the economy lately and talking about the inflationary pressure just because we're recovering at a different rate and a different pace. And so that pace that our, we're consuming at other countries can't quite keep up with. And just because we're on the up and up doesn't mean the rest of the world is. And so it's going to be very real. It's going to be a very real problem for a lot of countries for some time to come. And we might have some first world problems here like, oh, okay, there's a delay. <laughs> While there's other people that are actually still in the midst of the pandemic or are really at the highest points of it real time right now. Yeah. And obviously you don't want to minimize the health concerns for the populations over there. I mean, yeah, we don't get our, our Pumas, but you know, yeah. They're, they're dealing with serious health, health situations uh, across the ocean there. Uh, and, you know, whatever happens over there, we've seen it. It eventually impacts us. Yeah. Uh, so I think to the point of this article here is, you know, certainly we can't just say everything is now ship shape. No pun intended again. You are um, at it. You know, moving forward. And again, he talks about the containers, uh, the tankers as well in this article. If you are into tanker freight, they have not recovered. Uh from the pandemic at all uh, in, the, in that space. So tankers still not all the way back, but containerized freight, if you're talking about third and fourth quarter, that is yeah. a critical component of third and fourth quarter freight volumes and, uh, and the demand side there. So next up we have, this is an Amazon story. Uh, you know, Oregon delivery providers drop Amazon e-tailer says they demanded 36 million written by the one and only Brian Strait, uh, head editor of our Modern Shipper line there. If you're looking for, you know, some of these, you know, last mile, final mile, uh, you know, stories, uh, infrastructure builds and things like that, that is a great uh, line to go and get into some of that as distribution. Obviously, 
just about everybody's into redesigning their distribution channels and supply chains uh, to be more, uh, you know, regional focused. Uh, but this one specifically talks about uh, how Amazon basically, they unilaterally reduced the rate card reimbursement rate from $17.25 to $16. As a result, Last Mile and Triton either had to uh, reduce their driver's wages in the middle of a pandemic, continue to pay the expected $18 wage to their drivers without reimbursement and incur even greater losses. So the, the idea here is, you know, Amazon basically was, you know, subsidizing these companies as their driver wages because they're lar obviously a large portion of their business, if not the entire portion of their business. I would assume not since they basically said, we're not going to haul for you anymore. Yeah. Um, this is an in intriguing story to me because like you said, just a minute ago, Amazon is, you know, they kind of take out the middleman, yeah. <laughs> the intermediaries uh, over time. And this is kind of like where they almost run this company. And, it, and in the article that he outlines this, that, you know, essentially Amazon has several, you know, companies that they don't own, but they are have a huge par portion of. Like, and this happens in the freight industry all the time, where uh, you have a customer that really is the backbone of your freight network. Uh, they, you know, a certain percentage of your portfolio of business, uh, and they can command uh, a little bit of direction. They're yeah. almost like a board member <laughs> if, you, if you're a big enough chunk. And a lot of these Home Depots, Walmarts, and Amazons obviously have that kind of leverage. They have that amount of freight control uh, as retailers and distribution channel controllers. So right. I think this is going to be an ongoing thing, uh, not just with Amazon, but with other uh, retailers and things down the line. Uh, Amazon obviously has had the headlines of doing this type of practice uh, in the future. But anytime you're to me, and, and again, this is this is kind of where I'm at in my headspace is if you're willing to let them subsidize that much of your business, you you've given up your control. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you have to know that that's part of the deal. Yeah. Uh, I, now, the background story of why Amazon reduced the driver wages or their subsidy, maybe they know something that we don't about the e-tailer or the uh, the last the final mile providers here. Um, that we don't, maybe they were making more money and said, Hey, we need to wean back on this wage reimbursement program. Right. I don't know. Uh, well, everything Amazon does is calculated yeah. for sure. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was almost like a push to kind of push them into their own platform that they have because they do have their own third party platform, or not third party because it's yeah. Amazon, but their own platform of, uh, his last final mile drivers. So there's that aspect of it. Yeah. And the other big thing is when you look at Amazon, when you look at other corporations, the economics behind all of these movements, this point itself, when you see wage changes. So for example, Amazon, they don't really make all their money on selling goods, but more so web services. And so we're looking at Amazon moving, they're going to move in the most efficient way with the most foresight ahead. And so when they're looking at wage growth, for yep. example, for their workers, they might lead the way in upping minimum wage or paying these higher wages that are well ahead and maybe even lobby for minimum wage increases across the board, knowing that they can keep up with that. And they're even willing to take a loss if it means that their competition is going to take a bigger loss. Right. And they know that other comp competitors can't keep up with that. So that might be another topic for a minimum wage and the economics behind minimum wage. <laughs> and it might not be what you think it is with some right. of these companies, but everything they do is going to be well thought out. It's going to be planned. Their business, they're in the business of making money. And even when they're increasing these wages, it's going to be to price out other competition, get more employees, 
then shut it back down. Yeah, and Final Mile, obviously a huge uh, portion of growth for the supply chains over the next several years. They're expected to be um, and really difficult to operate in. Uh, just extraordinarily difficult. Jennifer Holton asking, because of the possible union Teamsters contracts, potentially. Ah, yeah, that union. I mean, those big corporations do not like unionized, uh, <laughs> not you know. And, and again, there's there's an argument for and against unions. Uh, you know, historically speaking, they're a little bit out of date um, in terms of the context of, of how they operate anymore. But uh, again, when you have a company like Amazon that's so huge and can have so much control over a space, there's an argument to be made, yeah. <laughs> uh, especially when they are setting the tone. Uh, you know, I'm, I've been straight capitalist <laughs> my yeah. entire life, but it becomes less capitalized when you have somebody controlling most of the cards. You know what I'm saying? Like, I like competition. <laughs> yeah. And when competition gets kind of weaned out, that's when other things need to step in, which they naturally do over time. Mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes it takes a little bit longer than we would like yeah. uh, to do. Competition breeds success. Got to have competition. So um, this next one, this is kind of, this is along the lines of the infrastructure bill. House Democrats succeed in boosting trucking insurance to two million. This just passed the House. Uh, stuff. So it increases from $750,000 to $2 million in terms of insurance liability, minimum coverage. That's a huge barrier to entry <laughs> yeah. for any of these small owner ops uh, or smaller providers. Uh, insurance has been a growing expense on the income statement. It's not as huge of a deal for the larger carriers. They already carry a lot of liability on their uh, balance sheets and they obviously pull a lot back uh, in reserve as well because they can. Yeah. Because um, they have a lot more exposure in the space, so this this to me is a small carrier, mid-sized fleet problem. I wouldn't get too upset yet because it still has to pass the Senate, which it probably isn't going to. Um, but read John Gallagher's article here to get further details on this. This is uh, you know part of this bill too being passed is the infrastructure itself. So the five hundred forty-seven billion dollars to reauthorize surface transportation programs. Uh, as well, that could boost freight volumes uh, over time. Obviously, the infrastructure needs a lot of help. Yeah, uh, buildings collapsing in Miami. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's just one uh, symptom of what's going on. That's not obviously to do with this, but there's bridges and overpasses and roads that all need a lot of attention uh, in the United States right now. Big facts, and I mean, talking about that barrier to entry, that's huge. And it's one of those things where sometimes you see the government do things that they don't understand that might have unintended consequences or may hurt the unintended party. Maybe they do understand it. Maybe their lobbyists are just good at what they're doing. But looking at it, we see this all the time with different types of policies being passed through and meddling sometimes. I don't care what side, either side, uh, but any kind of policies that are kind of put through, a lot of times there's these unintended consequences that kind of make these implications and make these waves throughout the, the industry. Not yeah. just freight, but anything they kind of put their hands on. But Infrastructure happens to be one of the things I am a fan of the government uh, getting involved yeah. in because that is yeah, nobody else is going to take care of the roads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and they obviously have a, a vested interest in that as well. So I, I think that one that is I'm okay with them getting into that. Now the insurance uh, liability coverage that's a different story. That's, yeah, yeah. Well, we we're talking about competition and how we need more competition with these bigger players. I'm all for competition. One of my favorite parts of competition as a competitor back in the day, football. Ah. New Mexico State. Go Aggies. Right. Unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of competition when we went up against Wes's team 
BYU. Wes is here with us. Wes Struberg, thank you for joining us. Gentlemen, it is great to talk to you. How are you, Anthony? I'm doing well. Glad to finally have you on. Thank you so much for joining. I'm here with Zach Shukland, the one and only, but this is your first time on Freedonomics. So could you please just give us a quick background on yourself, your company, everything that you got going on? Well, first of all, I'm just honored to meet a meme, a meme connoisseur like Zach. I really yeah. haven't met one before, and I'm really, really <laughs> happy to be here. Now, I spent uh, 35, and yes, 35 years in the logistics business. I'm a third-generation logistics professional. Uh, my family all grew up on the asset side of the house primarily, and I still spend some time on the asset side of the house, but we also have a very large freight brokerage. So I've spent the last... 35 years doing everything from sweeping warehouses to driving trucks to uh, helping maintain trucks to dispatching, planning, accounting. I was a receptionist for a period of time. Like I had to do it all. So I've been around the block a little bit. So Wes essentially knows we've, we've come across a few individuals kind of like this that have been involved in the industry in almost every single aspect. And so that's, I think, it's one of the most intriguing parts of having someone like Wes on. So, but we got a lot of questions about some of the trends that we've seen throughout the first half of 2021 going into the second half of 2021. Yeah, yeah, for sure, Wes. And thank you so much for joining us today. We love hearing from people uh, that feel it <laughs> out in the space. And you obviously have uh, a large amount of exposure uh, to all this supply chain disruption and whatnot. So, uh, you know, I got I to gotta lead off with what particular area has been the most difficult to deal with over the last, let's just call it six months <laughs> or so. Well, I mean, if you want to give it one word, capacity is the problem, right? <laughs> capacity is just the problem. There's more demand than capacity and there's just no way to slice it. Mm -hmm. And that that transcends just drive-in truckload stuff or, you know, Anthony's favorite flatbed, right? <laughs> but um, it goes even into, so we do some very sophisticated deliveries and we, oftentimes we have to have a straight truck paired with our tractor trailer. We need forklifts on site and those all are very difficult to find. They're also all in short supply. And so we're, we're having a huge issue. On top of that, we provide, we have to provide extra labor and extra labor is also very difficult to find at this point in time. Yeah. Are, so you, this, are you guys having a, sorry to interrupt for a second, but I mean, that yeah. labor topic there that you're talking about, has that gotten any better here in the last little bit or is it still as difficult to find uh, as it has? No, it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. It was terrible today. Like it's a, it's a thing. Yeah. I was, uh, I was talking to uh, one of my buddies this morning and he's in the legal profession. He can't find anybody to help. So, I mean, if you're, you're talking about this, you know, the transportation sector, supply chains, warehousing, production, all of them are having trouble. And it's amazing to me that we're still talking about this, you know, this far into things where unemployment has been so high. So, uh, you know, is there any specific mode or area that you're having more difficulty? I mean, drivers obviously are, you know, troublesome to find at this point and generally any time, but is there another uh, particular pain point in other areas that you're seeing? Well, I think the biggest pain point right now is you know, that the port drainage. Drainage from port to a warehouse is, I mean, that's it's the ugliest I have ever seen it. You've got some markets where carriers are booked six weeks in advance, and if you don't get in the queue, you're not getting it done. And uh, actually, we've we've picked up a lot. We've happened to pick up a lot of clients only because I think we offer a pretty good customer service option, and a lot of the other people out there aren't even communicating because they're so buried. 
And so I, I think that's probably the most acute problem. But also on the specialized side, we've seen serious, serious capacity constraints because that's a niche market, right? And the, the niche market gets constrained. It's even harder to service. So Wes, whenever I'm on Logistics Titans and I can look at the industries that you serve, it's essentially all yeah. industries. I'm looking at aerospace, automotive, chemical, consumer products, energy, foods, beverage, hospitality, just it goes on and on. Is there any particular industry that you're seeing complete just disruption or complete out of the park just activity? I, I can only imagine, of course, consumer products, but any segment of the economy that you're just seeing an unprecedented amount of activity. So there's there's probably two segments that we work in. We've seen a lot of, of pent-up demand. One is in the telecommunications industry, and we have some very large enterprise clients in that space, names that you would know in this world. And the 5G build is real. They are all scrambling to build it, and that takes a lot of network infrastructure equipment, and we're delivering a ton of that. So that's ramped up substantially. I mean, those customers are up probably 100% year over year in this you know, non-COVID environment. But the other sector is the healthcare sector. We, we do a lot of healthcare capital equipment deliveries and a lot of demo work. And uh, that has absolutely spiked. I mean, our, our business is probably up 200% year over year on that side of the house. So it's uh, those probably the two that have been the most substantial, guys. Yeah, that's, that's uh, you know, we talk about the, you know, the lumber, the, you know, the electronics. Obviously, as people are staying in their house more, they're having to refurnish things. And obviously, the home purchases are out of control. Uh, so it's interesting to hear those two sectors, especially the telecommunications one, because that's one, I, I mean, these are, these are sectors that, not necessarily the healthcare sector as much, but we're not necessarily hearing about them as much as we were. Uh, you know, everybody, we were talking about it earlier, the, you know, the pandemic, it's kind of over for America, sort of, uh, to an extent uh, in relation to where it was. But, you know, some of these sectors are still like just pumping out volume yeah. and, and it's almost like widespread. Is there any, is there any sector that's kind of been muted in your experience? So we, we also do a lot. We talked about the hospitality side of the house or, or trade shows and exhibits. And obviously trade shows and exhibits are still sharply off of where they were before. We do a lot of that business and we're starting to see signs of it maybe coming back and people asking for you know project management plans to have it come back. But it's still oh, probably 10% of what pre-pandemic was at this point. It's dragging that badly still. My gosh, like, and that's the, the hospitality and services sector, uh, of course, they're coming back, uh, yeah. but I'm shocked at that. Well, and guess, and there, and there's two sides of that. The exhibit and display business, you know, is, is hopefully will come back, but it's still very contracted. Right. We've seen a lot of deliveries of, of hospitality stuff like hotel remodelings and restaurant remodelings. That a lot of that has happened. So the demand has still been fairly high for that. So Wes, uh, part of that I'm kind of curious about is that, okay, we're seeing a lot of demand kind of building up, but are there any segments that you see that are hot right now that you think are just, okay, this is a trend. It's not going to stay this elevated for much longer. It's just going to be a lot of elevated activity just for now, maybe the coming months, and then it's going to kind of taper off. Well, <laughs> they always like to say that you can have two jobs in life where you get paid really well and you never have to be right. And then one is being a weatherman. The other one is being an economist, right? You're welcome. And so, yeah. <laughs> um, and so to predictably 
think through that is a challenge. Um, you know, we work with a lot of contract-based customers that are looking for solutions to market-based pricing, and they just aren't here, and they're not visible yet. I think our, our hope is that there'll be some kind of relief in the first quarter, at the end of the first quarter of next year. But I think that's even uncertain because we don't know what the pandemic is going to continue to do or will continue to do. And I think these supply chains at large, even though we've seen you know a nearshoring of a lot of things, which has driven some transportation demand, I don't think that uh, it, it would be a wild guess, guys. It yeah. really is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think like you do, I follow all the economists. I listen to what they're saying, but no one can tell you for sure what it's going to be like. Yeah, you uh, you, you make a, yeah, I mean, a, a strong point. I mean, it's it's hard to, you know, we ask you what you think, uh, but I mean, you can ask me what I think and it's the percentage chance of it being, you know, 100% accurate or very low. And uh, we actually, you know, do work here. Our data science team and the background, uh, you know, actually t took some of those macroeconomic figures and tried to predict them forward. Uh, and they're just, you know, especially during COVID, there, there's almost no prayer uh, of getting that right. So, um, I've got to ask though, so some of the things, you know, it's, it's hard to tell what demand in certain segments is going to be like here in the next three to four months, five months down the road, et cetera. But some things have changed fundamentally. Uh, and one of the things we track here is, you know, the contracted pricing, the rates, uh, of the freight market. And I want to pull up a chart, Wes, real quick and kind of put this on a visual cue. And I want to ask you a question about sure. it. Um, you know, this is the OTRI versus contract. This is our tender rejection index. Uh, they're in blue. Uh, and this is our van contracted uh, rate index. They're in green. And you can see the rates there. These are largely contracted rates. And the trend line is obviously up, up and to the right. And we've taken two tremendous increases uh, the last two months without any significant disruption from, you know, the weather or, or whatnot. Now, you know, those are two 8%, you know, probably 7 to 8% jumps in May and then in June, and tender rejection rates trying to come down. So are you seeing uh, significant rate increases still? I mean, what, where, what portion of the uh, year do you typically see uh, new rates go into place? And then are you seeing them, does this chart kind of explain something similar to what you're seeing? Well, so I think the chart does explain what the market is doing a little bit and what we're seeing in the market. Mm -hmm. I will say that, you know, as far as how often rates are negotiated, that's really, um, that varies by customer and they have predictable cycles. But most, most of our customers, at least, have abandoned the RFP or the formal RFP process until at least first quarter of next year. And that's kind of the advice we're giving some of our customers because I think it would have a potentially a very, very negative effect in this kind of a volatile market. Um, but I guess to answer your question, um, I think the chart tells a pretty good story. Mm -hmm. But we're, you know, one of the probably the, the benefit we talked about that supply chain disruption thing, and everyone, everyone sees it everywhere. If you want to buy a car, you can't buy a car. If you right. want a used car, used car prices have spiked. If you want to buy lumber, it's up, you know, 100%, 300% at one point. Um, everyone sees the supply chain disruption, so it's made it easier for us to go to enterprise customers and make them understand that this is a unique market and will be subject to the market-based pricing. 
Um, you know, C.H. Robinson came out boldly and said that they've transitioned their contract customers, 80% of their contract customers, from contracted rates to a market dynamic-based pricing model. Yeah, so we've had to have a few conversations. Yeah, I love I love the dynamic pricing model. Do you think that's something that's going to, and the dynamic pricing model obviously moves with the market itself, uh, so you're not locked into a rate. I can't imagine, though, that shippers over time will want to stay in this model, or what, what's your opinion there? Um, well, no, I think you know, most of those customers aren't really happy about paying more, which is mm-hmm. exactly what they're doing right now, which I'm sure that's a shocker to you both, right? <laughs> um, right. But, but we're having to do the work, and we do this for all of our enterprise customers, is we review every single lane every single month to see if we can return them to those original contracted rates. And then we reprovide those exact same. In fact, it's a shameless freight waves plug, right? We use sonar as a method, as a, as a helping tool right. and show them what their market-based pricing looks like, right? And so we, we share with them openly and honestly what the market is doing, what the averages are. And we commit to beat the average plus a, a small market. And that's yeah. how open and honest we have to be with the relationship in this environment. You have to be a little, it's going to be different. Yeah. And that was going to be my next question, Wes, is about prices because we're seeing commodity shortages kind of across the board, not even just like looking at freight, but looking at different industries. Manufacturing is seeing, we just spoke about lumber shortages. We're seeing mm-hmm. commodity shortages really in every single raw material. And that's increasing prices. And when we look at things like the ice and PMI, new orders coming out, we're seeing new orders continue to stay extremely elevated as we still see those prices increase. So it's telling us that manufacturers, these upstream shippers, so to speak, are not slowing down at all despite these price increases. They're still going business to business. Activity is still moving and booming. So Wes, I was kind of curious, and you kind of answered a little bit here, if those price increases that you're seeing within the market is deterring any type of activity or if there's any been foregone business overall because of these elevated prices? No, I, it's still, obviously the demand is still there, even at the higher price points. People haven't stopped building houses because lumber is up so substantially. So ultimately people want what they want and they're going to get it at the price that they're going to get it for. I think the our, the real the real challenge is even though orders up for, for everything, filling the driver gap is a big problem. In fact, I was talking with the, the president of CRSC, and they're a $2 billion transportation organization, and they're having a really challenging time finding the kinds of drivers that, that they need to make make them successful. It's a very difficult environment. Yeah, even though you can order all the trailers and all the trucks, you got to have guys to fill them. Oh yeah, the van orders are on backlog for like a year now. Um, you know, you can't get you can't get trailers, yeah. you can't get drivers. Uh, you obviously can't get the tractors themselves either. So, you know, it's a it's a fascinating thing for me to to hear you talk about this dynamic pricing model. And obviously, we're we're talking about commodities in the same breadth as transportation. And and normally, companies and shippers uh, they're used to commodity prices fluctuating. It, it's almost like everybody's coming around to this concept of transportation capacity being a commodity. Are you, and, and since they're obviously good with the dynamic pricing model, do you think this is kind of the way uh, shippers and companies are going to start to view transportation and trucking in general uh, in the future? Well, I think that that's going to be largely dependent on... So what's interesting is this whole carrier power thing, and it's all on a pendulum, 
right? right? So right now, the pendulum has swung completely in favor of the carrier. Over time, it's going to swing back, right? It's This is all cyclical. And it may take a long time to do that, but you need to come up with some sort of an honest and fair pricing mechanism that's sustainable for the long term. And automatically, in fact, the one thing that some large enterprises have done mistakenly is think that they can just grind down transportation prices. And that's just not the reality of how it works. So we work with customers, frankly, to try and drive operational efficiencies and help them improve operational efficiencies, help them improve lead time, because the more lead time provided, the the lower the rate we can obtain from a transportation sourcing perspective, you know. Those are the activities we're trying to focus on to try and help make them better and reduce total cost. So it's more about the value you can provide and the way your business can operate. We use a lot of automation in our business too to reduce headcount and still drive really good service. So we try to be a value wherever we can be a value. If that makes sense, guys. So we look at it from all those angles. Yeah. But there's no simple answer. Again, it'll be as unique as the relationship with that, that customer. You bring up a good point, um, implementing as much efficiency and technology to kind of reduce headcount. And, you know, we can look on Logistics Titans. You can see you have your integrated technology solutions, your Titans TMS. That kind of gets into another area. I can't get enough of upstream stuff. Mm-hmm. We're looking at these warehouses, we're looking at factories, looking at all that technology entering the market. That's also going to reduce headcount. Are you seeing that just from a very broad point, we, we do have a capacity issue. We need more drivers. We need more retention, things like that. But just at a very high level, do you see as more technology enters and more efficiency gets in the market throughout the country that we'll see less and less dependency on actual people? Well, I think that's going to be a natural byproduct of it. But my hope is that these actual people can spend more time one-on-one with customers, making sure their needs are truly and genuinely taken care of. So our, our goal isn't to get rid of everybody we can. We want to operate as lean as we can, but we also want to have a really high-touch, high-quality customer service environment. In fact, that's what our customers demand. In fact, most customers do. And if you look at those really good customer service organizations, those are the organizations that win time and time again, I always which frankly is one of the reasons I support our, our front line first. Right. Yeah. I always find it interesting when people get a little bit nervous when you talk about automating their jobs or something like that. And it's like, do you want to do a job that a robot can do? <laughs> I mean, if I if I could automate my right. job, I I would. <laughs> and and then I would move on to something else and that inevitably is what happens is that your job gets automated but you move on to something more inter- interesting or you know, something that allows you to grow <laughs> or or be better and not doing something that is so repetitive. So I think you make a really well, good point. Zach, you you Zach, you nailed it, right? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, if you ever want to get promoted, you're going to have to find someone just as good as you to do your job so you can move forward. And if automation is the answer, that's the answer. Move forward. That's the way you should look at it from my perspective. Agreed. Agreed. I've, I've, I've encountered that numerous times over my career that uh, people don't like the technology coming in and doing their job because they get nervous. and like, well, you need to be thinking ahead. You need to be moving forward because... It's coming whether you want it to or not. And, you know, the Excel spreadsheet and Microsoft didn't eliminate a bunch of jobs from our economy, <laughs> uh, as far as I can tell. <laughs> no. No. It actually grew uh, quite a bit. So, no, actually, we're, we're dependent on people that can operate that, that software really, really well. Like, uh, like the old saying goes, you know, either you're green and growing or you're ripe and rotting. And there's really kind of nowhere in between. Right. 
Yeah. Adaptation is not a choice. I mean, it's not a necessity. You don't have to adapt. You don't have to evolve. You can just kind of stay where you are and just kind of fall by the way, the wayside of uh, the dinosaurs. Um, so Wes, I'm curious on your perspective, looking forward, is there a trend? Because sometimes I get into my not, I'll say conspiracy bag or just why aren't people talking about this bag? But is there a trend happening right now that you don't think is getting enough attention at the moment? I can't think. So I can tell you the one thing that we've really tried to focus on that I'm not sure everyone else is focusing on is we're trying to take technology and apply it in a way that solves the problems we've been talking about. And I'll give you an example. Um, We have a system that, that you can provide work instructions and a proof of delivery, a photo POD of goods right on site. So we do some sophisticated deliveries that rely on people to do the right things. And so we can send to any smartphone a step-by-step direction that idiot proofs the process. Like you can't move forward until you do this and you do this and you do this. And we're bridging that gap between those problem areas and the customer experience that all of our customers are looking for out there. And then we do that and we take a picture of it at the end of that delivery in real time that goes to our customer service team so they can validate what's happened and in real time it goes to our customer. So they see what has happened the second it happens. And uh, well, we talked about the Amazon effect. You know, Amazon has helped us drive that kind of service line. That's what the consumer expectation is at this point. But I think that's that's where we're looking to apply technology. That's the trend that I would like to see keep moving forward is use technology to make common problems go away. Yeah, I like that, especially in terms of like, you know, you're, you're kind of, the way that it works is that you uh, you solve these low-hanging fruit problems that require minimal energy, hand them over to some to technology so you can focus on the bigger ones. Now, you mentioned Amazon there, the Amazon effect and its influence over the market and industry, et cetera. Do you, you know, we a lot of times it's like the big bad company uh, it gets presented in the media, you know, for good or bad. Uh, but I, I kind of want to ask, do you think that Amazon is driving uh, a lot of the innovation and the change uh, in the transportation space today? Or do you think that that's just a natural flow that would have happened with or without them? No, I think, I think Zach, simply put, Amazon has provided the consumer with tools that they now expect as commonplace. And so as a transportation professional, if you can't provide something similar, you look out of date, you look antiquated. So I think that's ultimately what Amazon has really done. And let's let's face it. I mean, Amazon is a logistics giant, <laughs> huge, yeah. not small. Yeah. Well, so Wes, I know we oh. just jumped into this, and we gave your you know got a background, but we didn't really spend too much time on logistics titans. Can you give the people you know quick background on what logistics titans is, what you guys offer, your services, and everything like that? Sure. I, from a really high level, and I don't want to make this a commercial about me. I've had more fun talking with you guys. <laughs> that's that's been a good time. Um, but our organization is, is based with on three founding kind of buckets that we operate in. One is we're a full service carrier and we rep, we're a carrier because we represent CRST, who I mentioned earlier, that we're their largest agent. In addition, we're a, a full service freight brokerage that really is used some cutting edge technology to provide superior data and solutions to our customer base. 
And the last is we're a you know, full-service freight forwarder. And we kind of combine all, and I don't have to explain to you guys what that is, but we have to combine all three of those legs of our company to help organizations with difficult and demanding supply chains really win and do it in a way they can see it where it's very transparent. Right on. So I'm going to I'm going to ask you my final question uh, before we we let you go, Wes. Uh, Anthony may have one left in the tank, but I'm going to throw up one chart here that our outbound tender volume index and it's year over year. And I'm going to get I'm going to see if I can get you to give me a hot take here. So the oh, blue line, the blue line is the current year. The green line is the previous year. And you can see the impact of covid and, and all this stuff. So we, we continuously talk about this. Uh, demand, if you will. This is trucking demand. This is the request that shippers are making to ask for capacity um, and includes all tenders, uh, both rejected and accepted. But it hasn't really changed that much over the last, you know, four or five months since the polar vortex uh, there. So we have this kind of concurrent wave event where we're seeing pull forward, uh, current demand and backlog of orders kind of meeting together. Mm -hmm. What do you think that we are at the peak of that cycle? And do you think that this curve will start to trend back down lower uh, here after, you know, say the next week or two? Because it is traditionally the peak activity of the summer before we get into the third and fourth quarter. Uh, or do you think that we are at a, a pretty sustained level of demand for the rest of the year? Zach, are you trying to turn me into an economist I again? <laughs> I am. I am. I, I, like I said, I was going to put you on the spot for a hot take. Uh, no, I gotta, no, I think I gotta have one. <laughs> so, if, if, if you're asking my honest assessment, my honest assessment is this demand is not going to change for the balance of this year. Absolutely. In fact, I think it will be well into at least well into the first quarter of of next year before we'll start to see a, a change. Yeah, and so we're going to hold you completely accountable for this and yep. uh, call you back on yeah. the show. <laughs> if you want, you can call me and ask about the weather too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my last question, because I, I got to bring up one of the things that Wes mentioned, that things kind of move back and forth in this pendulum, back and forth, not quite just re uh, not quite that fast, but sometimes, you know, it takes time, but it swings nonetheless. Right now, the record between New Mexico State and BYU is 3-0 and in the favor of BYU. Historically speaking, when do you think that pendulum is going to swing back to New Mexico State winning some of those games? I think, I think predictively, I think we'll go with absolutely never. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. It's I, I mean, he, he's got the data on it. Sorry, he's got, I looked at I looked at the stats, and it's not yeah. good. It's not pretty. The historical data is undeniable. It's, it's not undeniable. pretty. We need something unprecedented. Is what we need. Yeah. No, you can't. There's a hundred percent chance that you're going to continue losing. 2021 is crazy. You never know what might happen in the future. But, I mean, know. maybe Anthony will bring on some of his. No, no, you his never experience. know what happened. <laughs> but, but we're 100% sure that you and I will still talk about football. That's exactly, 100%. 100%. Wes, thank you so much for joining us today and long awaited. And really, we've got to have him back on again soon. Yeah, so sure. thanks so much for joining us and we'll be sure to keep you in the rotation. Look forward to talking with you gentlemen again. Have a great afternoon. All right, Wes. Thanks, man. Love the love the insight um, yeah. from the field there. Uh, he obviously feels it. <laughs> yeah, and, and one of the things I mentioned, just be, he's been involved in so many segments of the industry, mm -hmm. and he said third generation, so he knows this intimately. And to talk to someone, they say he was been, a receptionist. 
at one point in time, he said he was a receptionist. So he knows every aspect of this business. Yeah. And so whenever I can chat with somebody, listen to someone talk about their perspective or their views yeah. from transportation with that much of a skill set and that deep of a history and knowledge base, amazing. Yeah, I definitely want to talk to him more about the uh, the pricing change trends and pricing changes. I was a pricing guy, obviously, but they are... <laughs> The fact that we've kind of come across this line of like now people are actively, you know, they're accepting the fact that their transportation spend may fluctuate between an area versus, you know, staying in this constant bound. And the way that it's set up now, it's a very one-sided negotiation process because the competition in trucking and transportation is so competitive. There's, you know, obviously 92% of the uh, trucking companies have less than uh, 20 trucks, but... They are all individual competitive units. Yeah. Every business unit is competing with another one. So it's, you know, even though you can't say that the, you know, 1.5 million, 2 million trucks on the road are all competing directly with each other, you can say that, you know, the 200,000 companies are competing with each other. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's really the basis of what Freight Waves is all about is, hey, let's level the playing field, transparency. We used to have those transparency um, events all the time. And that was basically, transparency within the marketplace whether you like it or you know you hate it it's yeah it's going to drive competition no and 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 the pendulums like you guys were talking about this going back and forth and back and forth uh the reason we have futures markets <laughs> yeah and commodities markets and people trade that these sh shippers obviously uh hedge their commodity exposure their risk levels i mean gas or uh, fuel crude oil obviously one way that a lot of people do this um to make sure they're not, their budgets aren't blown up. They're starting to come around to this type of thinking for transportation as well. Um, and having something be so one-sided, like it has been for the last, you know, well, not necessarily 2018, but for most of the last decade, it has been a very one-sided negotiation process. Either a shipper or a carrier has leverage. Getting that in control requires both parties to agree, yeah. you know, when they have control to not, you know, but there's ways through that with data, Analytics, getting more targeted with your process, et cetera. Uh, I think, obviously, a big takeaway from this last couple of years is you can't just say, ah, we have leverage, charge more. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and then, you know, a 2019 environment, we want to get the cost as low as possible. <laughs> exactly. Not sustainable, either side. Well, that's the big thing, sustainable. And mm -hmm. talking about sustainability, one of the big things I was looking at in this morning's release for the ISM PMI, because it just got updated and I'm a sicko. I can't get enough of that manufacturing stuff. Looked at the ISM PMI, and I'm just wondering how sustainable is this? So we saw the prices component increase to an all-time high that has not been seen since the 1970s. We're seeing new orders continue to come in despite these high prices. So that kind of brings me to that question. Is this sustainable? We're looking at these high... And, and, and Wes kind of touched on it, is what the consumer wants. Mm -hmm. And if they're willing to pay... The, the business is going to get done. But we're looking at upstream business, business activity, not slowing down. And there's a few levels from that upstream aspect down to the downstream final consumer at the retail level. But at the end of the day, the economy is going to be built on the consumer. And that's what these businesses are really banking on. Yeah. So industrial production is almost like a, a lagging response in some ways. Like it can be forward in the way that maybe some of these companies are predicting future demand which has been predictable somewhat because right. they market it and they know it's going to, you know, have traction, et cetera. But then uh, I think the way that we're talking about it now, it's a little bit in response 
Yeah. Especially right now because yeah. demand has been so hot. They're just trying to catch up, right? Yeah. And th that's the other big thing is like when you see manufacturers and these companies making that investment and especially in infrastructure, mm -hmm. that's telling because that's saying, hey, we're going to put forth X millions of dollars because we foresee this being a thing, not just now for the fourth quarter. And sometimes there's definitely overcorrections in markets, but we're saying, hey, we're going to put this money within the market for infrastructure because we see this being a trend going forward for years to come because we're not going to invest all this money just to lose it. But thinking that, hey, this is going to be a thing for a while. So all this business to business activity that's happening right now, this industrial production, this manufacturing, these warehouses coming up, it's all in anticipation for these being long lasting trends. But don't you have a chart that shows this? I do. So I chart? do have industrial production, um, an industrial production chart that shows year over year change for industrial production um, compared to flatbed outbound tender rejection. And this is index. why you should care. <laughs> this is why you should <laughs> yeah. care. When you see that upward movement and that blue line, which is industrial production for machinery, it's been rising and rising and rising. And along in, a, in accordance in, with our flatbed outbound tender rejection index, of course, the blue line is going to be month to month data. The orange line is going to be day-to-day uh, -day data that's near real time as of just yesterday. But when we see that peak number, just around 30%, that kind of correlate, correlates with what we're seeing just before then from some of those machinery orders coming in and being produced. So it all really ties together. Yeah, and these are huge. This is huge orders. These are not like yeah. your you know, nickel and dime stuff that moves on a lot of trucks. This is the big orders. Uh, the, upstream, the downstream, the upstream parts come in to produce it. So it's, it's not just one move. Like you see a lot of freight is a single move. It comes in through a, on a boat, then moves to destination and it's done. Right. This is stuff that requires lots of production process, automotive style uh, production assembly line, right? Exactly, exactly. And Zach, I think we're down to our final segment. Debate anomics, and I have one for you. I have one for you today. Okay. Uh, this obviously Fourth of July weekend. Uh, this is Fourth of July weekend coming up, and there is lots of activity. I mean, we see the freight market peaks in the summer right around this time because July is the second most vacation time of year. Everybody gets excited. It's summer. It's warm in the northern tier of the country. They want to go outside, you know, drink beverages and get on the lake, go to the beach etc. Super active period of time. My question to you, what is your favorite 4th of July weekend activity? So it's going to sound cliche, but family time. Mm -hmm. Family time. Uh, back in the day, used to go over to uh, the, the vineyard. The and vineyard, huh? The vineyard. Oh, well, look and at you. spend time with the family. <laughs> Water was way too cold. Couldn't get in, but just hanging out, you know? Being one of the tourists, it just kind of... You know what? If your answer isn't blowing stuff up with fireworks, I don't know if we can continue to have a conversation. <laughs> fireworks. Blow fireworks stuff up. Fireworks are overrated. Oh, my gosh. Bacon is not on your radar. You see yeah. the, the, the fireworks in Times Square. You've seen it once. You've seen it all. Listen. Listen to me, man. There is nothing that gets old about watching fireworks. I mean, you may go to the vineyard and have your, you know, spill your tea everywhere. Yeah, you got to spill the tea. I mean, it's with all your... Time. All your cronies. Shout out to the vineyard. Help Todd and G's pay for me. <laughs> Hello. I'm gonna blow stuff.